Well, good morning. It is good to be back with you. I sincerely enjoy worshiping with y'all every time I'm here. I love being at Hillcrest. And so I'm thankful that y'all have allowed me to come back once more. Um, I wish my wife was here. She's not. She's working. But uh, she'll listen later, hopefully. Or I'll at least make her. <laughs> um, I, you know, I was thinking about this on the way here this morning. A deep conviction that I have, and it has not gone away since I became a Christian, my whole faith journey, my whole being a Christian, my whole relationship with God, there's this deep conviction that has never left me, and it's this, the urgency of the gospel, the urgency of the gospel. So if you're anything like me, and I believe that you are at this church, if you are in this room and you are a follower of Christ, You want so badly for people to know the depth of God's love for them. And you want to share with them the good news that they have a Savior, a Creator God, who loves them, who values them, who cares for them, and who died for them. And oftentimes we can, it can be a really difficult thing to share that good news. Maybe you've experienced that. And so if you have your Bible this morning, we're going to be in Acts chapter 26. Acts 26, I hope you can see the scriptures on the screen if you don't have your Bible, because they will be up there. Um, I believe, well, first I want to pray, and then I want to dive in. Father, I just ask that you would do something supernatural in this room. I pray, God, that you would open blind eyes and deaf ears, and that your word would not go unheard this morning. So, God, we just ask for your presence in this place, for you to do great things. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I don't know if you've ever had a conversation with a four-year-old, and I know you parents have, and you're going to understand where I'm going with this. My wife and I, last weekend, we had the opportunity, really it was a privilege, or maybe it wasn't, I'm just saying that to sound like a good person, but We got to watch three kids last weekend for some friends of ours at our church. They went out of town. They went on a ski trip. Uh, They asked us, of all people, to watch their kids. And so we went from zero kids to three kids, um, ages five, four, and two years old. My wife, being the children's pastor at our church back home, I think they automatically assume that we know what we're doing. So for uh, the longest 72 hours of my life, we watched these young little children. And so you know, when having a conversation with a four-year-old, the direction that it can turn. So you know the sky is blue. Like, that's just a a fact. That is a reality. That's just the truth. The sky is blue. Um, But a four-year-old will tell you different. A four-year-old will tell you that the sky is not blue. And they'll try to convince you that you're wrong because they're smarter than you are. And so now, all of a sudden... This conversation with the four-year-olds turned into an argument. Well, what's true and what's not? Who's right and who's wrong here? Um, <laughs> so I, I, throughout my Christian life, wanting so badly to share this good news about Jesus, wanting to have a conversation with people about Jesus, um, what, what starts out as a conversation usually turns into an argument. What's true? What's not true? Where are the facts? Where's the evidence? Show me. If you're from Missouri, show me. That's the show me state, isn't it? Um, And, you know, the outcome is always the same. They're not convinced. Nobody's any closer to God. 
And if anything, you've made matters worse. Because what starts out as a, a conversation turns into an argument. And I think in Acts 26, Paul shows us that there is a different way to share this good news. So the Apostle Paul is a, is a preacher, a teacher of the Word of God. He's an evangelist, a church planner. He's done all of these amazing things for the kingdom of God. But Paul shows us in Acts 26 a different way to share the gospel. Paul shows us that you can share the good news about Jesus through a testimony, through a story. Sometimes that's an easier way, and it might encourage us, and my prayer is that it's going to encourage all of us to share the gospel more, knowing that we can do it through what we know best, our experiences. Because the truth is, you and I have a story worth telling, don't we? So let's jump in. Acts 26, we're going to pick up in verse 4. This is Paul defending his circumstances. Paul says this, verse 4, My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope and the promise made by God to our fathers, to which the twelve tribes hope to attain, as they earnestly worship day and night. And, this, and for this hope I am accused by Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? So Paul is on trial right now. He's been falsely accused of some things that he's done. If you go back to Acts chapters 22 through 25, you're going to see a sequence of events that have led up to where Paul is right now in Acts 26. He's on trial. He's defending himself. He's been in jail for a couple of years now. They're saying that Paul had gone into the synagogues, which is where the, the Jews would go to hear the scriptures read to them, much like church for us today. They're saying that Paul would go into the synagogues and just start wrecking havoc, causing an uproar. Paul's saying, no, that's not true, and he's being falsely accused. And so Paul, again, is defending his case now for the third time, but not just in front of a group of random people. This is a, in front of the king. This is in front of the Jewish council. This is in front of other Pharisees, religious people, prominent and important people. And Paul's defending and pleading his case. And, and I love what Paul does. His, his form of defense is simple and to the point. Here's my story. Here's my experiences. Let me tell you how Jesus has changed my life. And so Paul begins by bringing up his past, his former life. He, he was a Pharisee. Pharisees were the religious leaders. They were the men who taught the scriptures. They had all of the Bible knowledge. They were the Bible scholars of their day. Many people say that people like Paul, Pharisees, had the whole Old Testament memorized. Like they were considered impressive people, impressive men. At least they thought they were. And so what Paul does is he brings up some things that they can all agree on. You know my former life. You knew who I was. I was a Pharisee. I grew up, my dad was a Pharisee. I was raised to do this. It was my destiny. You all know that. You know my upbringing. You know what my past was. You understand. And, but then he says, but I'm here because of the hope that I have in God that was foretold to our fathers, the Old Testament. Like the, the Old Testament, it, it shows, it points to a Messiah. The, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they believed that a Messiah would come one day to save their people from their sins, to establish a new kingdom. They believed that. 
The Jewish nation for thousands of years believed that a Messiah would come. The problem is he actually did come in the person of Jesus. They just didn't recognize him. The Jewish leaders, the, the people like Paul who were Pharisees, the, the prominent people who were looked up to, the, the men who, who were thought to be close to God, they didn't recognize the Messiah, the Savior of the world, when he came. Why? Because he looked far different than they did. Jesus hung out with sinners. Jesus ate with tax collectors. Jesus touched lepers. Like, it's not even that the religious leaders wouldn't touch lepers. Jewish people in general wouldn't touch lepers. They wouldn't even go within a proximity of lepers. And Jesus touched them. He spoke to them. And he also had conversations and spoke to women. The Pharisees would never have done these things. Jesus was far different than they were. The Pharisees knew all the scriptures. They knew how to teach it. They were raised to do it from a young age. But they didn't know how to love people. And that's what Jesus did. And so Paul, when he's defending his case, he doesn't bring out the Bible at their time. He doesn't bring out the scriptures and try to uh, defend himself with sound doctrine. He's not even trying to prove them wrong. Paul's just simply saying, look, I believe in the resurrection, just as he says. Pharisees believed in the resurrection. He's saying, I believe in the hope, the resurrection, just like y'all. But here's something different. The resurrection is what changed my life. Believing in Jesus. So often, so often as Christians, we get discouraged in our faith. We get discouraged when it comes to, we, we feel obligated to share the gospel. We should share the gospel. Jesus commands us to share the gospel, to share the good news. It's not meant to, to keep within us. It's not meant to withhold from people. And so often we get discouraged from sharing this good news. Why? Because we feel like we don't have enough knowledge. We feel like we don't know enough. How often when you are in a conversation with a person and you're trying to talk about God and you want to share the good news about Jesus and instantly he goes to, well, you know, what about dinosaurs? Can you tell me, what can you tell me about dinosaurs? You know, whether you have any understanding of the Old Testament or not, whether you know that there are some references to dinosaurs, whatever, you just don't know. I don't know about dinosaurs. Well, what about um, what about, they, they often quickly go to politics. What about Trump and, you know, his policies? And what about Obama when he was, you know, the president? What about this? And, and what about that? Oftentimes, it leads to a direction that we don't want to go. And the problem is, we don't have all the answers. And the truth is, we will never have all the answers. And so we often become so closed off. And if you're like me, it leads to anger. I want so badly for people to know, but I can't answer all their questions. I just simply don't know about dinosaurs. But here's what I do know. Jesus changed my life. And there's proof. You know, I, I worked at a, a company for four years, this pool company I was at. And when I started working at that company, I wasn't a Christian. But then I became a Christian. And my life began to change. And I worked at a place, an environment at that time, where I was the only believer. And I worked pretty closely with about 15 to 20 other people. Every morning we would talk, and every morning we would have coffee, and we knew each other pretty well. They knew that I was a Christian. I talked about it often, especially when you become a, a Christian for the first time. It's all you, you can't stop talking about it. And even though you may not even know what you're saying, there's just this new zeal about you. So everybody knew I was a Christian, and oftentimes in that workplace, 
I was made fun of, 28, 29, 30 years old, made fun of because of what I believe. I'm a Christian. Nate, he would never do that because of this, and, and, and he would never do that because of that. All the time. And I would get asked all the time these questions. Some of them were like deep theological questions, and some of them were just, well, what about dinosaurs? And I would often get discouraged. And you know what? It would often lead to an argument because I would just want to open the Bible and say, well, look what it says here. And you need to know, like we need to know, people don't care about the Bible. They just don't. Many unbelievers could care less about the Bible. You and I are the Bible that unbelievers are reading today. And so often I would get discouraged, and someone much wiser than me told me, you know what, just share your story. Tell them what happened to you. And that's what I did. I started sharing my testimony, my story, my experience of how Jesus changed my life. And it's so much easier to share the gospel when you share your story. In fact, Jump down real quick to verses 28 and 29. So Paul, one of the people, one of the persons that's in, uh, that's, that's present when Paul's giving his uh, defense is King Agrippa. Look at what King Agrippa says to Paul. In a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Uh, historians tell us that there was a lot of people that were there that day. And the king is, is saying, look, Paul's sharing his story. The king is saying, look, you think you're going to convince me to be a Christian in such a short time? And Paul doesn't argue with them. He doesn't tell them, well, if you don't, there's consequences. Paul just simply says, you know what, whether it's a short time or a long time, I'm hoping not only you are convinced, but everyone here. He says he's praying for that. Another encouraging truth about when we share our stories and when we share the gospel is that we need to go in prayerfully considering that God might be a part of it. Whether or not people are convinced in your simple one conversation or your many conversations with sharing your story, sharing your experiences, whether they're convinced in that moment or not, is really not up to us. That's a God thing. We don't have the power to save people. Only God does. So if we do our part, share our story, share our experiences, share the gospel through those things, be faithful in doing that, we can trust that God will be faithful in doing his part. And Paul says, look, whether you're, whether you're convinced, whether you believe now or later, I'm just praying that you do. So when you leave those conversations, and let's just make it as practical as we can. You're at a coffee shop. You share your story, how Jesus has changed your life. You might even pray for them there. That would be great. But if you don't, that's okay too. But when you leave and you get in your car and you drive to your next thing, you're praying, asking God to use your story, your testimony, to open their eyes, to see, to believe. So we always want to be praying. Because when we share our stories, our experiences, and pray that they'll hear, you just don't know what God's going to do. And I believe that there's more evidence in our stories, in our experiences, and what God's done, and how he's changing our lives, than just simply opening up the scriptures and trying to have a conversation with a person who just doesn't care about the Bible. So you and I, we have a story that is worth telling. So Paul goes on. 
verse 9, he says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. And I only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests. But when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues. And I tried to make them blaspheme. And, and in raging fury against them, I persecuted them, even to foreign cities. Isn't it funny? Paul's on trial for going into the synagogues and preaching the gospel. But in his former life, he says, I went into the synagogues and I handpicked out and I searched through the rows of people, those who were, who were believers in Jesus, this resurrected man called Jesus, and I ripped them out of the, their seats and I took them outside, out of the synagogues, and I beat them and I humiliated them. And then when Paul says, well, look at this list. This is Paul's former life before he experienced the presence of Jesus. He locked up the saints. That's Christians. That's you. That's me. He put him in jail. He put him in prison. And it says he put him to death. And there's another uh, portion of, of the New Testament where Paul says that he blurted out murderous threats against Christians. Paul's known as a murderer. He punished them often. So Paul didn't just punish them. Like the Bible says, he punished them often. And he made them blaspheme. He tried to get them to reject and renounce and deny their beliefs and faith in Jesus. And he persecuted them. He dragged them out of their homes against their will because of what they believed. And he had them beaten. This was Paul's former life. So does this strike you as a person that you might want to invite to your small group? <laughs> or over for Sunday dinner? Absolutely not. Paul was not a good person. He was a bad man, and Christians were actually terrified of him. And so Paul, he, he kind of expounds on his story, his, his backstory, his former life. He tells them exactly who he used to be. Like, he doesn't withhold information. Like, when, when Paul was converted and became a Christian, Christians didn't want to be around him. They were terrified of him. And so Paul, he doesn't hold back the things that he used to be, the person that he once was. He doesn't hold back from that. He doesn't keep that hidden in a secret place. He uses it, and he tells them, and he expounds on who he used to be. And it kind of sounds like, if we're being honest, Paul is like the worst guy on planet Earth. He was not a good person. But it was important for Paul to do this. Why? Because it shows them how powerful the gospel is. How amazing Jesus is. He says, look at all the things I did, who I used to be. But Jesus changed my life. And I'm not who I used to be. I'm not those things anymore. You can't label me with that anymore. I'm a new person, a new creation. All those things, those are gone. Those are in my past. That's who I once was. And the only reason I'm telling you this now is so that my Father in heaven can be glorified for the change that he's made in my life. And this is why telling our story is so important, because it highlights two things. Who we were before we met Jesus, and who we've become after meeting Jesus. Paul may have been ashamed of his, his, his former life. I would imagine that he was. All of the darkness and all of the, the horrible things that he did, how could you not be ashamed of that? And oftentimes we're ashamed of the things that we've done in the past, the person 
we used to be, the things we might have said, how we might have treated people. But keeping those things in private, in secret, not sharing those things, it makes your story less effective. And what we know about Paul's story and what we know about our stories of transformation is this. It shows how the grace of God can save anyone and the love of God is for everyone. So don't be ashamed of your past. The things that you did, who you once were, use it to your advantage. There's a, uh, there's a person right now somewhere who needs to hear your story. And your past, all of your mistakes, your failures, all of the wicked and horrible things you might have done in your life, somebody needs to hear that aspect of your story because your story is meant to help someone else. So don't keep it hidden because I promise you it's worth telling. Verse 12, Paul goes on in his story. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And so Paul continues on this just fury of anger, going towards more Christians. He wants to find them and pick them out. Now he's going out of town. He wants to hunt more down, take them against their will, beat them, throw them in jail, have them killed. But on his way, Paul has an encounter with Jesus. Now, Paul's encounter with Jesus may be different than our encounter with Jesus today. But nonetheless, it is still the presence and power of God. That when we experience that, it changes us. So Paul experiences on the road to Damascus, Jesus. And look what Jesus says to him. Why are you persecuting me? To persecute Christians, God's people, means you are persecuting God. And Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Don't you know it's hard to kick against the goads? How often do you ask someone that question? Hey, Bob, how are you doing this morning? Oh, I'm good. Yeah, I, know, I know you're out there and you're working hard. You, you know it's hard to kick against the goads, right? It's just not a question you ask people. Not, not in our everyday language. But a goad was a, an agricultural term. It was a farming tool that was used by farmers when they would plow their fields. Typically, they would use oxen. I have a picture of a goad there. So it's, in other words, it's an, it's an iron uh, tool that's used to hit oxen. So when they, when they give kickback or when they resist the, the work that's being done, the plowing, when they fight against it, they would hit him with that goad. And so Jesus is saying to Paul, why are you fighting me? Why are you resisting me? My kingdom will not be stopped. Why are you fighting me, Paul? Paul, He says, everything you think is good and right and true isn't. You're fighting against me, Paul. You know, see, Paul thought that he was defending God by killing Christians. But Paul was just defending doctrine, tradition, religion. And Jesus is saying, stop resisting me. You're doing the opposite of what you should be doing. If you go back to verse 9, Paul says this. He says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things 
and opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Well, Paul says he was convinced that he was doing the right thing. If you look at that word convinced in the Greek, it means imautau, imautau, imautau. If I pronounce that wrong, just focus on the Greek, the aspect of it. But the Greek word for convinced in this text is imautau, and it means of myself, on my own accord. So when Paul says, I myself was convinced, he's saying, I believe, I think that opposing the name of Jesus is the right thing to do. And he was calling it God's will for his life. And Jesus is saying, no, you're wrong. You're not living the way you should be living. But here's the good news. And it is the best news in all the universe. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, what you've said, how you've cheated people, the wrong things you've done, the wicked, sinful things that you were once a part of, all of those things. And the list just goes on and on and on. You might be in this room thinking, man, I got a past that I, there's just no way I could share. I was a bad person. And the good news is you weren't as bad as Paul was. You weren't as bad as Paul. And the mercy and the grace and the love of our God can reach and save anyone. You think what you've done is bad. You think you have a past that is unforgivable. You're wrong. Nobody's done what Paul's done. Listen to what Paul says about himself, 1 Timothy 1. He says, even though I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And then he says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as, a, as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. So Paul calls himself the worst of sinners. But he says, God saved me. Despite of myself, he turned my life around. And he changed my life so that people might look at my life and know that there is a God. How? Because the change that is happening the best evidence we have, I think, as followers of Christ, that Jesus is alive, that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, that he did rise from the dead, that he is alive today. The best evidence I think that we have is our lives, our testimony, our stories of how Jesus has changed our lives. You want evidence? You want proof that God is real, that Jesus is alive? Look at my life. How else can you explain that? Paul goes on in verse 15, and he says, And I said, Who are you, Lord? So he's having this dialogue with Jesus. And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you, 
to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So Jesus doesn't just change Paul's life. He commissions him. What a commission that he's given. He says, I've appeared to you for this purpose, Paul, to appoint you as a servant and a witness, to open people's eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. I imagine if, if you're anything like me and if I was in that situation, I would have been saying back to Jesus, well, I don't know. I mean, I was just on my way to, you know, keep persecuting your people. I was just going to wreak more havoc on them. I was going to rip them out of their homes and, you know, kind of destroy your church and, you know, kill them even because I'm just a violent man. And so that's what I'm on my way to do. And Jesus just says, not anymore. Not anymore. You're going to work for me now. I'm commissioning you. I'm setting you apart as a servant and a witness. That's what you're going to do now. You're going to open people's eyes, and you're going to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. And when they believe in me, Paul, their sins will be forgiven. When they trust in me as Lord and Savior and surrender their lives to me, they'll be mine. They'll be set apart too. And I'm going to point them also as a servant and a witness. They're going to become a new person just like you, Paul. Through the gospel that you preach, Paul, I'm going to change people's lives. So you kind of wonder, what does Paul do? Well, let's see. Verse 19. Therefore, O King Agrippa, Paul says, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. So a summation of, of what's just happened is that Paul is convinced. He believes. This time he knows. This isn't the same word, though, when, when Paul is convinced, when you and I are convinced that Jesus is the Christ, if you're convinced that you're a Christian because of Jesus, because he's alive, that he really did resurrect from the dead, you are convinced. Well, Paul is now convinced, but it's not the same kind of convinced that we saw in verse 9. If you were to flip back to Acts chapter 1 and verse 3, the writer of this book, Acts, his name is Luke, Luke writes this, After his suffering, talking about Jesus, he presented himself to them, the saints, the Christians, the, the uh, disciples, and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. So the same word in English, convinced, is different in the Greek. In the Greek, in chapter 1, when Luke writes, I gave many convincing proofs, it's tekmerion, a sure sign, a certain proof, plainly known. So what Luke is saying is it's a sure thing, an absolute, a fact. Jesus is alive and there's proof. So Paul now becomes tekmerion, convinced that Jesus is the Christ. He's alive. I was wrong. And what's great about this is there was a time in Paul's life when he was convinced that opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth was the right thing for him to do. And he was calling it God's will for his life. But he was wrong. 
But then Paul experienced Jesus. He experienced the presence of Jesus, and his whole life changed. And Paul now became convinced, Tecmerion, that proclaiming the name of Jesus of Nazareth was the right thing to do. He knew that that was God's will for his life. Paul shows us in Acts 26 how to share our story. He shows us how to share the gospel in a way that can be familiar to us. In a way, you know, people love stories. They do. People love stories. And we have a story worth telling. So Paul shows us, look, he, he outlines for us a, a way to share the gospel through our story and our experiences. He says, look, this is who I once was. This is my former life. But now, look at my life now. Look what Jesus has done. And you need to know that the reality is not everything changes instantly in our lives when we become a, a believer and a follower of Christ. It, it happens through time. And you need to know that's part of your experience, and that's a story worth telling. Over time, the more you come to church, the more you worship, the more you go to small group, the more you read scripture, the more you pray, the more you spend time with believers, the more you spend time with God, it's inevitable. Jesus will change your life. And that is evidence. That is proof. Don't be discouraged when people don't believe you that, that, that God is real, that, that Jesus is alive. Simply do what Paul did. I'm going to share with you my experiences. Paul knew the scriptures better than most people during his day. He doesn't pull out the Bible and say, look, you need to know that, you know, the, the Bible says this. He shares his experiences, his story, and he says, look, whether you believe now or sometime down the road, next week, next month, next year, 55 years from now, whether you believe now or then, I'm praying that anyone within the sound of my voice believes. That's my prayer. And so this morning, I want to share with you my story. And my hope and my prayer is that it'll encourage you to look at your experiences, your story with Jesus, and go out and to share that. I've honestly shared my story so many times. It's, it's just the context of my life, what happened to me. And I've learned that people will listen when you have a story to tell. I've also learned that it is really, really hard to have an argument with a person about the Bible. It doesn't matter how well you know the Bible or not. But people will listen to a story. You know, I'll be 33 years old in April. Um, and I didn't grow up in church. I, I've met people often, and I've told them my story, and I've, I've talked about how much I love Jesus and all of those things, and they're like, they always typically think that I grew up in the church. I look young, must have grown up in the church. And they're shocked when I tell them I wasn't, or I didn't. So I'll, I'll turn 33 in April. For my entire life, I didn't grow up in church. My family was the kind of family we would go on Christmas Eve or Easter, and, and to be honest with you, I hated church. And I didn't care anything about God. And so I just kind of grew up what, what was a normal life. And what my friends did, what we just, we drank. And so I started drinking at 20 or 18 years old, and I drank for 10 years of my life. I didn't go to church. Anybody that wanted to talk to me about Jesus, I wanted nothing to do with it. I didn't care. So I drank, and I progressively became an alcoholic. 
And for 10 years, I, I spent wasting my life drinking. And because of my drinking, I went to jail five times for public intoxication. And on each occasion <laughs> that I went to jail, they would typically let you out in the next morning. And so I, I would get out the next morning, and I would start drinking. I would go find the, the nearest bar that was open at 8.30 or 9 in the morning, and I would start drinking. That was my life. But praise God that I had some friends who cared enough for me to share their story, their experience of how God was changing their lives. And they invited me to church. And my life had gotten so bad that I, I thought, well, why don't I just go and try it out? And I went. I didn't know anything about anything. And you know what? Nothing happened. Nothing changed. I just left, and, and that was it. I came back you know, a month later, and I left, and that was it. Little did I know that God was moving and working in my life. The last time I ever got drunk, um, it was a really, 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 really rough night. The kind of night where you, you wake up and you're like, you shouldn't do that anymore. Well, the truth is I, I kept doing it that next day. Well, then that third day, that Sunday, the day after the last day I ever drank, I had this moment sitting up against my bed on the floor, and I just started to cry. 28 years old. What am I doing with my life? I, used to, I started to think, this cannot be all there is. There's got to be more. What am I doing with my life? And as I cried and I sat there reflecting on my life, I texted my friends and I said, you know what, I want to come to church with you next week. And I did. Just so happened to be Easter. So I didn't have any nice clothes. So I went out and I bought a nice outfit. And I went to church. And you know what? At 28 years old, I heard the gospel for the first time in my life. I said, I want to follow Jesus. I don't want my old life anymore. I want something better. And when I heard the gospel, I heard that I could have that, something better, something new. I heard the God of the universe was actually close, that he was near, that he wanted to have a relationship with me. And I said yes to that. I was so convinced that day that Jesus was the God of the universe, that he, he, he died for my sins, that he rose from the dead, that I too could have a new life in him. I was so convinced that I made a decision to be baptized that same day. And the, pa the, the pastor, who's one of my good friends today, uh, Luke, who's a pastor at our church back home, He's there. He's a stranger to me. I said, he says, what's going on in your life that brought you here? I said, to a stranger, I, I'm an alcoholic. And I'm hoping God can take that away from me. And when Luke baptized me, he prayed that God would heal me of alcoholism. And from that very moment, almost five years ago, to this very moment right now, I have had no desire to drink alcohol. I have not been tempted once to drink alcohol. It's as if I was never that person in the first place. And it wasn't months, it was, it was several months later, but I, I started having these new desires. My life began to change. And I, I just wanted to share with people what happened. And it was six months later, seven months later, I'm in this discipleship training class at my church. And, I, and I, for months I had these desires, this, this passion to go and, and be a missionary, to share the gospel, go all over the world. I wanted to preach. I didn't know how to preach. I didn't know what that looked like. I didn't know what that meant. Never in my life had I thought I would want to be a preacher. But, but God could never use me, not because of what I've done. There's no way. That's for people who, from a young age, are raised in the church. That's who preaches. Those are the missionaries, not me, not because of what I've done. There's no way. And you know what happened in this discipleship training class? We opened up to Acts 26, and I heard about the story of the Apostle Paul. 
And I thought, if God can take that maniac, that God-hating, church-destroying, murderous person like Paul and use him as what we know as a person who's written most of the New Testament, a church planner, turned his life around, glorified God and everything he did until they killed him. He was martyred. If, if God could use that man, he can use anyone. And that's what started my path into ministry. And that's my story. And there's a lot that I obviously didn't share between my decision to follow Jesus up until this moment. There's always a lot we have to say. Try to condense it. And your life is a living testimony that Jesus is alive, that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, that he really did rise from the dead. Don't hold back what God has given you, the power of a testimony. Your life and my life is proof. It's evidence that there is a God, and he really is good. And he really does care for this world that is so broken. And so I, I just want to open up an invitation. If you're in this room and you, you're not a follower of Christ, I want to invite you to make that decision this morning. As I close in prayer, I want to invite you to pray. And I want to ask you to have a conversation with God. Knowing the truth, hearing God's word, and being convinced should be followed by a decision. And maybe that for you is a decision to be baptized. Baptism is an incredible biblical picture of a, a, a confirmed faith in Jesus. To be dunked underwater is not going for a swim. It resembles being buried with Jesus in his death. And when you come out of that water, it's not a, an exciting time to go get dry. It's, it's coming out of that water, which means you are being raised to resurrection life with Jesus. Your life is no longer yours anymore. You've given it to Jesus. And when you truly surrender your life to Jesus, when you, when you know it's not about you, it's about him, things will begin to change. And your life will be the evidence that people want and need to see. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for the word of God. I thank you for loving us. I thank you for this opportunity to share my story. God, my hope and prayer right now is that people would be all the more convinced of the power of a testimony. God, encourage us all through your spirit to start praying for those opportunities to share our stories, our testimonies, our experiences of how you've changed our lives. And Father, we just ask that you would go before us. Prepare that conversation. Prepare that interaction. And God, that you would give us favor in that. And that in doing so, God, you would open blind eyes and deaf ears and that you would turn people from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to Jesus. We thank you, God. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.